Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Brian, tell us about what you got yourself into. The Glop Podcast is brought to you by acculturated.com, where pop culture matters. Check it out. And Harry Shave. The holidays are over, and here's the chance to start fresh and start making smarter decisions. Overpaying for drugstore razor blades is a bad habit that you should leave behind. Make the smart switch to Harry's. And yes, this is Glop Culture. I'm John Podhoritz in my airy office high above 40th Street in, in the garment center of New York and down somewhere uh, in the Flatiron District, I believe, I is Rob Long. Yeah. Uh, hi, hi, John. How are you? I'm well. And, of course, in, uh, in this heart-beating center of American perfidy, Washington, D.C. is Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hello, everybody. Let me, let me pour myself a drink. Oh, well, of course, go. because nice. it's 11 o'clock in the morning and he's – Do you like that sound? I do. I do. That, that is a uh, – Wilbur. that's a tribute to Wilbur Mills, the great, uh, the great was, Washington legend who – I, I, I was just going to say I was back in Washington. I was in Washington for um, uh, 45 minutes last night at, at Reagan National and – I was sitting, waiting for the flight. I was taking the fl- a flight from uh, Reagan National to to uh, LaGuardia and connecting, and um, so sitting there uh, and thinking, you know, it used to be like when you were in uh, a, a DC airport, you just saw DC celebrities. You know, you saw important people wandering around, and I didn't see anybody so much of you know normal looking people like me. And then off the plane that I was waiting for, um, walked. Uh, John McCain, and I thought to myself, you know, used to be used to see important people. Anyway, that's 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 my joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will tell you this: Uh, I was just remembering that in maybe 1999 or 2000, um, I went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner from New York to Washington on the Delta shuttle, Uh, and it was then, and it was probably like. 2.30 2.30 in the afternoon and it was a flight filled – basically it was just journalists going down to Washington for the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And in the front row, mm-hmm. in row two, you know, on the, on the right, you know, with the, with the leg room, sitting there by himself was Brian Williams, uh, then I believe of MSNBC, not of NBC. Wow. And he was sitting there in wearing sunglasses – uh, as though he were trying to be inconspicuous and you know, in, you know, uh, incognito, but sitting exactly in the place where every single person coming aboard the plane would see him and go, "Hey, look! There's Brian Williams wearing sunglasses." Hey, did, did he just come from the I ophthalmologist? Why he's wearing sunglasses? And I thought this week this was sort of an interesting tell about Brian Williams, which is plant yourself somewhere where everybody can see you. And behave in some kind of odd, what appears to be self, you know, uh, right. isolating right. way, but is actually entirely the opposite. And yeah, maybe right. this was some suggestion of who we would learn he would turn out to be. Unless hold he had really on, just on. been to the Doppelmall. I know for a fact, I know for a fact that <laughs> Brian Williams, I know for a fact that Brian Williams was wearing sunglasses because in the event of a terrorist hostage crisis, he doesn't like to tolerate, to telegraph his moves Ah. Wearing it with his eyes, so he keeps them covered up, so he can move fast and disarm anybody. Because you know he has a particular set of skills. (laughs) Uh, You wouldn't like him when he's interesting. He has that. He has the the stewardess. The I should say, flight attendant set of skills, which is to weirdly emphasize a word in a sentence that shouldn't be emphasized, but he does it anyway. And it gives it the impression that he's thinking about what he's saying, but of course it's the opposite. It's just this rote, you know. When 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 flight attendants do it, it's because they've memorized something. And it's meaningless to them. They no longer really care if you take care about when opening the overhead bins because articles may have shifted during flight. They're just saying the word. It's, it's just bouncing out of their head. And I think it's the same thing with him. Um, th- which is maybe now now that we're talking about it, we should just talk about it. I mean, uh, what are the odds this guy is going to be? In his job in a month, 
You know, I honestly have have no idea because I guess basically it's a calculation that Comcast, the owner of NBC, has to make about relative cost, right? It's like obviously there is a cost to keeping him. The question is will the cost to keeping him be less than the cost of losing him? And they're going to have to sit down and right. kind of figure out what that calculation is. I will say this, which is I don't care one way or the other. I don't watch the evening <laughs> news. I, you know, these guys are it's all, weird. you know, they're yeah. all, they're all clowns and they're all actors and whatever. What, but it is so, interesting. Don't you think they have nobody on deck? Well, I mean, they obviously have a couple of people on deck. You know, they obviously have, uh, uh, you know, Christopher Hayes, um, <laughs> uh, Ari, uh, Ari Melber. Um, sure, sure. Steve Pernacki. I mean, I think that if he has art guy, uh, you know, if you need if you need like a neurasthenic, uh, yeah. you know, um, myopic, skinny, thirty uh, year old leftist, they got him. They really have the market. I That's say true. completely, you know, closed on. They were going to have Ezra Klein on, and then somehow that show didn't happen. But basically, if what you're looking for is you know the chess team from Englewood High School, MSNBC is really the place to be. So well, I, I, I don't know what the problem is. It seems to me their bench is very deep. Yeah, it's funny. You know, uh, I, I agree with you both. I, I, I can't bring myself to actually care in, the, in, in, like, in an emotionally invested way, but it is, it is sort of fascinating. As I put it in my, uh, my Goldberg File newsletter thing last week, Rarely have I been so torn about an issue that matters so little. <laughs> um, and a lot of people got pissed off at me because there, there's a lot of people on the right who want to make this a Dan Rather yeah. thing. Right. And right. the thing is, you know, Brian Williams, he did something really, you know, he, he deserves everything he's getting, right? I mean, when you get paid that much money, when you have that much to lose, and you're not expected to do very much other right. than be trustworthy right. to – to blow that, uh, you get no huge amount of sympathy from me, right? And um, uh, but at the same time, it is sort of it's, it's sort of a fascinating kabuki theater. And I, I have a, my column as we're recording this; it's out in the LA Times. It'll be on NRO tomorrow. Um, I wrote about this. You know what's what's sort of fascinating to me is the way the elite, the sort of Olympians of the media, are for the most part circling the wagons around him and defending him, and. If you actually look at the numbers, the amount of people who care about the CB or the, the major network evening news broadcast is tiny and it's shrinking ever more by the day. Right. And so, you know, as, as we're sort of in the midst of the twilight of the idols. And it's always, you know, the as I put in the column, the people who are um, the last to let go of the old gods are their priests. And so there are all these people who are invested in this old system and they don't seem to – and even the coverage doesn't reflect the fact that most people don't really care about the evening news the way they right. once did. It no longer is that thing. Pew did this fantastic online survey, which wasn't fantastic when they first did it. But in the wake of all of this, it's really fascinating. They showed a picture of, of Brian Williams and they asked people to identify him. And 27 percent could get his name. Only 3 percent could identify what he does. <laughs> and uh, well, because he does so many things, he he rescues puppies, he <laughs> he flies helicopters. They, they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't conjure either the words journalist, reporter, or anchor to describe him. They just knew his name, which is sort of fascinating when you think about it. And then three uh, percent thought he was Tom Brokaw, right? And two percent thought he was Joe Biden. <laughs> 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 That's funny because two percent of Joe Biden thought it was Joe Biden. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, but I mean, this is what's what is true that um, uh, some people have gone completely nuts with the notion that this is the second coming of the Dan Rather story, and obviously, uh, compared to the Dan Rather story, this is nothing. That was an effort, literally, to turn the the election of two thousand and four by peddling a false charge. And a slanderous right. charge, um, and had it not been exposed, we don't know what the result would have been. I mean, the, but, the, you know, the future, also, literally, you know, the history of the United States could could have hinged. In a, in a, but on in a that. strange way, don't you think there's something about the Dan Rather situation? That's, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. That's slightly more elevated, because at least he was engaged in you know sort of political dirty tricks and propaganda based on his ideology and his political beliefs. This is just. 
this creepy, weird, malignant narcissism uh, where I, I believe that if you hooked Brian Williams up to a lie detector, he would pass saying he rescued those puppies and saw that body floating down and was in that helicopter. He thinks this really yes, happened. But Rob, That's how crazy and delusional. You know, this is how memory works. And, you know, there are many <laughs> articles saying, right. about how, you know. You well, know why please, are we doing this? So, you know, so Jonas says, Jonas says they're the last. Right. Memory functions because you know it may well be right. that Brian Williams' amygdala was having a synapse confusion mm. with his corpus callosum. Well, that, and, you uh, that. This is really a teaching moment for us to so, understand so, about well, how so, recall so works. Jonah says, Jonah says it's because the the, the 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 priests of the of the dying gods are still at it, and I think that that is, that's I, I agree with a lot of that. I also think that there's something about the the aristocracy circling the wagons. It is inconceivable that Brian Williams could be disgraced. He's just too entrenched. Too many dinner parties, too many uh, Metropolitan Museum ga- ga- galas, too many – his daughter is a star on HBO. It's just too, he's just too entrenched. It's just – he can't – he can't – I mean the right thing to do, the thing that anybody – any normal person would do if caught somehow in this bizarre set of like weirdly self-inflating lies is go and hide, dig a hole and hide in the hole for a year and then hope that it all blows over because you're ashamed of yourself. But there's just – that can't – that's not possible here because he's just too part of the fabric of this big media city, John, that you, you know and that, I, I, I temporarily live in. We can't let that, him go. That may well be true. But a friend of mine who has some you know, uh, dealings with, with, with NBC pointed out uh, this morning to me that it's striking how if you go on Twitter or you go here or go there – the people who are not defending him are his colleagues at NBC. Yeah. Where are the tweets saying, Brian Williams is the greatest right. guy and I really, you know, everybody should lay off. He made a mistake. Where are the producers? Where are the grips? Well, they, they, Where they, are the stagehands? They don't know what's going to happen I think they No, I think they don't like him because there is no rallying around effect. There is no sympathy. There, nobody, you know, what there is is Tom Brokaw saying they're going to have to take a long, hard look at this. And and there are other people who are saying, well, I feel sorry for him, and you know maybe he should, you know, you can't you can't really know why would he do it, right? But the people who are closest to him professionally are being very silent, and that's well, actually surprising? interesting. Are any of these well, no, people likable? Well, did any of them have friends? I mean, do, do people go around? If you made and a say, mistake. Oh, like, you know that Katie yeah. Couric. I love that Katie Couric. You know who has who's a, who's a just oh a no people. Person. A lot of people said yeah. that about Ann Curry. You remember Ann Curry was getting yeah, a hard out. time. On today and everything and people – a lot of people at NBC said it's terrible what they're doing. They're being mean to her. It's not nice. They had lunches with her, all of that. None of that seems to be happening with, with, with Brian yeah, Williams, but which, which is – but it's neither here nor there. I mean and, and, and as I say, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. But I think as we've been circling around it, as Matt Connetti says in his media piece for commentary, which will come out in a couple of weeks um, – you know, the thing that is so striking is it's the baseness of this lie. It's not just that he lied and he did this and he's, you know, narcissistic and all this. It is a base, low, dishonorable thing to steal martial valor for yourself. And I think everybody sort of understands that. We usually only see this in the case of people who pretend to have been veterans and weren't or who claim to have been war heroes who weren't, it is very rare that you see a journalist claiming to have risked his life in the way that, you know, or had his life in danger mm-hmm. this way because they are, you know, it's dis, it's really a dishonorable thing to do. You know, I, I mean, as I said in my column us. last week. I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I, I agree that it's dishonorable and all of that and I have no sympathy for him in that regard. But, you know, lots of human beings – you know, again, as I put in the column, you know, we all know people who embellish and make up stuff, right? We all know BSers, and if 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 you don't know someone at least a little bit like this, you're probably that person. No, of course <laughs> you know? we do. And of, course, so, of course we do. But that's what makes it dishonorable. In other words, if you tell a fish story, you're telling a story about how big the fish you caught was. You are not saying, "Boy, I almost bought it from an RPG." Sure. Flying around in Iraq, it's bad enough or impressive enough 
that you were a reporter who went into a war zone and were on a helicopter flying into Iraq. That should be sufficient. No, I he was already that, placing himself in a position of danger. But for but, him, that wasn't enough. You see, what he, I, but what I, th- I, I agree with that. He had to live think, through a melodrama. I, and I agree, and I think that in part comes from the fact that he's wildly overpaid to do something not very challenging. But, um, exactly. That is very uh, but, true. But, but I think the, I think the fascinating and truly damning thing about this isn't so much that he lied about the valor as bad as all of that is. It's that according to various reports now, Maureen Dowd has this, the New York Post item about Brokaw had this. He was warned by his colleagues, stop telling that story. It is untrue. And he kept telling it. And that is, to me, what is pathological and fascinating about this. Because, look, if I was making $10 million a year as a base salary and Lord knows what other money he makes off of that position in life, and I was going around freelancing an untrue story that made me look like a monumental jackass, and I had friends or colleagues who who worried enough about me to come and warn me and say, hey, this is going to blow up in your face if you keep doing this, and you keep doing it. That to me is is like a there's something Aesopian Greek tragedy in this that I, or not tragedy but it's something really weird about the guy. Um, the but fact that he made up the story not, doesn't isn't so weird. What being warned and still doing it is what strikes I, me as the weirdest thing. I, but John, I think you were right the first time when you said he, that he's getting paid a lot of money to do a job that's not that hard. He's an actor. I mean, I, I, there was there was an actor on. Um, the first or second season, or maybe both the first three seasons of Law and Order named Michael – help me out, John. Michael uh, Moriarty. Moriarty. Yeah. Yeah. Really great actor, um, but kind of nuts. Yes. And I remember talking to someone at NBC about it and they said, here's the problem with Michael Moriarty. He's playing a prosecutor. He is convinced that he is also a lawyer. <laughs> that Michael Moriarty is convinced has said things in meetings about when he was in law school and going to law school and his legal training and a few of the cases he's worked on. He is genuinely nuts and believes that he's not an actor but an actor who has a history at, in law school. He, he really thought that he went to law school. Um, now, that made him a pretty good actor. It made him actually really good at playing the part of a prosecutor um, but it also made him nuts. You, and know, I you, think- forget, you forget why he left the show. Because he I mean, was he crazy. Left the show. Yeah. Well, he was crazy. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But but his claim was that he had to leave the country because he had the goods on then on then Attorney General Janet Reno. Right. There was yeah. some weird. He yeah. was going after him, so he had to move to Canada. He had to move to Canada. He had right. to so, move to Canada to right. get away right. from Janet Reno. From Janet Reno. Yeah. He's. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking. I'm scared of my own government. I think is what he said. And the reality is, is that that's that's actually. That was an extreme case, but that happens a lot with people who – with actors because actors are basically crazy and the really good ones are crazier than that. And 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 Brian Williams has that, that problem. He's got that problem with reality, which is an unusual thing for someone who's supposed to tell you what the facts are. But then they, they don't really do that anymore at the news. What they really do is they present – a kind of a worldview, and so he really does believe he's enacting this for you. There is this kind of weird thing where I'm the star of the news. I'm actually the star here, and the Iraq War is happening around me. I'm the star of it. So if you really, right. if you really get right down to it, I was on that helicopter. It did. They were shooting at me because I'm the star, and I carry up all, and I'm portraying this person for you back home, you little groundlings back home, and I'm going to sort of minister to you my impressions, which are not even mine. The sort of almost divine inspiration. I got because I've been gifted with this, you know, second sight. I mean, it really is that weird, and yeah. um, and you can see him. You can kind of see once you see it, and then you see his little. Once you the most amazing thing, once you watch him tell that lie on video, and you're watching a person smugly and confidently with that aw shucks kind of. It's I'm just folks. I'm nothing special, really. I'm just a dude. Tell that story. It's like it's really like you're watching. You're watching the last scene in Psycho with Anthony Perkins saying, I wouldn't harm a fly. It's like it's like unbelievable how nuts he is. <laughs> you know, um, this reminds me of my favorite acting story of all time, which is uh, the, the collision between, you know, method and non-method when Dustin Hoffman made Marathon Man with Lawrence oh, yeah, Olivier. Of course, right. And, you know, there's a scene in it where Lawrence Olivier tortures Dustin Hoffman. He's a Nazi dentist and he wants to get – you know, information out of safe. Dustin Hoffman who doesn't who doesn't have it. And Hoffman 
in order to be in the right state of, you know, horror and discombobulation, decides he's going to stay up for 72 hours and he's not going to eat. He's not going to shower. He's not going to eat anything. He's not going to turn the air conditioning in his apartment. So he shows up on the set and he's, you know, he hasn't slept for three days and his hair is filthy and he's all sweaty. And there's Olivier in his trailer and there's Hoffman comes in and Olivier says, dear boy, why don't you try acting? <laughs> now, there's also it's the story the of uh, the reverse story, which is Roger Moore when he was James Bond. They would shoot like three hours in the in the morning and three hours in the afternoon in between and have a four-hour lunch <laughs> where he would eat like – he and Cubby Broccoli would have like $2,000 bottles of wine and giant steaks and things. And the, so it's afternoon. You can kind of see it in the, in the later Bond movies. He's moving kind of slow and he doesn't do any of the stunts. And, and the blazer doesn't quite – Always button. <laughs> button over the Yeah, shirt. so sometimes a little method isn't such a bad idea. You could play James Bond. Yeah. Salad. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, can, I, can uh, I correct just one other thing? It's been oh, please, me for a while. please. Yes. Okay. So, in, in the, no, in the Brian Williams thing, when we're talking, comparing it to Dan Rather, both of you guys left out an incredibly important variable. Yes. Dan Rather was such an unbelievably sanctimonious, superior jackass. And watching his comeuppance was really an, an, an invaluable piece of schadenfreude in my life. And <laughs> overlooking yes. it and just talking about the politics and the ethics leaves that out. I mean the guy got exactly what he right. had coming. That's true. But That's he, also, right. he, he also figures into Rob's point about being insane because Dan Rather was <laughs> friggin' nuts. Yep. Right? I mean he believed his own, you know – uh, press releases more than anybody. I think it happens when you're just, you live in this weird bubble where you're always right. If you've ever been around those people and seen just how doors open, lights turn green, no one ever says, oh, that's crazy. There's just, there's all, they're always playing the part because I think, as you said, Joan, because the job is so easy, because this, I'm the managing editor of the NBC Nightly News, good Lord, I could be the managing editor of the Nightly News and also work at the Quiznos and probably show up on time and do both jobs fine. But this is the easiest yeah. job in the world. Well, it's it funny, is I, not I've hard, had, but they act like it's such a difficult thing. It's ridiculous. I've had this theory for a very long time that TV makes a lot of smart people stupid. And um, it's hey, simply hey, because what? like – not, not your no, kind of TV. Being on TV. Being, being a TV – like being in TV news, like you can tell the people who actually do their own reporting and their own research and their own work and the people who just have it handed to them. And over time, you know, it's like if you don't do – it's like when you're writing books or something, if you don't do a significant amount of your own research – um, you know, if you don't grab the books and look things up in the index and work it yourself, you just get kind of sloppy. And you can see this happen to a lot of people who just sort of have all of the the day to day, um, you know, nuts and bolts work that goes into their job done for them. And if you end up just reading stuff off of a prompter and not making the phone calls and not doing the work, you just get kind of mush-headed. And I think that happened to a lot of news anchors. And you're, but you're, I think it happens to a lot of people. And you're pretending. You're pretending to do a thing that no one has really done in any, in any meaningful way for 30 or 40 years. You're pretending to be Eric Severide. You're pretending to be a war reporter. You're pretending to be you know, in, the, in, the, in the Mekong Delta. You're pretending to be you know, in, in your uh, hip boots. You're, you're pretending to see. You want, you want so desperately for this to be your moment. This is my my moment where I'm the big deal here that you – I mean you naturally invent stuff. Of course if you're Brian Williams, you want to see a body floating down the French Quarter, which hasn't happened because the French Quarter didn't didn't flood. And of course it doesn't matter to you that everyone knows the French Quarter was built on high ground and didn't flood during Katrina. That was the whole thing about the French Quarter. Like it didn't – doesn't matter because you just – I wanted – I need to have that. And you want me to have that too, little peons in the audience because you want me to be a big shot too. So you can trust me and I can tell you what to believe. And it's it, really weird. And I think it now is time to pay a certain amount of tribute to somebody we occasionally make fun of or say odd things about on this show, James L. Brooks, whose movie Broadcast News made in 1987 predicted Brian Williams and <laughs> William Hurt is Brian Williams. You know, what he does, the ethical lapse that he makes at the at the at the sort of at the heart of the movie is Brian Williams and there is that speech that Albert Brooks makes in which he says to Holly Hunter, look, I mean the thing about Bill is 
he's a very nice man, but he's the devil. <laughs> because he just drops our standards just a little bit, just a little bit, and we don't even see that they're going. And that's exactly right. I mean, that is it happens is the secret, right? You go from Walter Cronkite, whatever you may think of Walter Cronkite, he goes in in World War II as a reporter on D-Day on a glider and, you know, marches through the Battle of the Bulge with the Third Army. And what does Brian Williams do? He pretends to have been hit by an RPG from a right. helicopter. Now, right. I think it's now time for me to say this is a very exciting show for us because this is the first time that we've had we have two sponsors. Wow. And whoop, the whoop. first the first of our two sponsors today is Harry's. Harry's.com started by two guys passionate about creating a better shaving experience. I certainly have had a much better shaving experience with the Harry's razors and shaving cream and aftershave that I've gotten as a result of being on this show than any shaving experience I've had before. And I wonder, as I'm sure you are as I'm speaking, how does Harry's.com deliver a superior shave? So here's what happened. I want happened. to know that. You want to know? Well, I'm about to tell you. Okay. I'm about to tell you. Harry's bought a blade factory in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. They cut out the middleman so they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. They ship the blades right to your door at factory, factory direct prices. The starter kit is 15 bucks. It's the razor, three blades, your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. I prefer the foaming shave gel because I have such delicate and tender, porous skin. But as an added bonus, you can get $5 <laughs> off your fruit. Well, which one do was you that, prefer? Was that do in, you like that a, shave was, cream or foaming shave Was gel? that in the actual uh, copy? That the, 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 uh, uh, Please, Bedora, no, tell us about your skin. No, the actual copy says, Peren, which do you prefer and why? Right. Close, oh, Peren. You, so so I, you answered that. Okay. I answered I the question sure. <laughs> without reading the question. I see. I did, it, now you're... It's now we're into the message I care part. So message yeah. I care. I prefer the foaming shave gel. Good. So I'm just writing that in my added, diary. As as an added bonus, you can get five dollars off your first purchase with my code. Um, after you, which is glop. After using my code, you can get an entire month's worth of shaving for just ten dollars. Shipping is free. Oh, the code by the way is glop. So let's get back to the shipping is free. And satisfaction is guaranteed. So go to harrys.com now, and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in Ricochet with your first purchase. That's, of course, R-I-C-O-C-H-E-T. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter coupon code R-I-C-O-C-H-E-T at checkout for $5 off. Start shaving smarter today. This is J-O-H-N-P-O-D-H-O-R-E-T-Z. And now I return you... To the most important topic of the of the of the month, uh, the affair that Steve Croft of sixty Minutes is having uh, with uh, with somebody, uh, and the really repulsive emails that uh, have been going back and forth that have been released uh, in its wake, and and the key, I think, uh, as our producer Scott uh, Immergut pointed out, is that. Um, the thing that he was most worried about, uh, Steve Croft, was not that he was cheating on his wife or that these emails featuring sort of uh, intimations of, of, um, of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey-like uh, sexual practices, but that he was, quote, really paranoid that, quote, right-wing zealots, unquote, would find out about the affair and use it to harm him and his news network. Now, I have news for him. Uh, right-wing zealots could never harm his news network more than right-wing zealots harmed his news network in 2004 when oh, right. Dan Rather was brought down and CBS News has never been the same. Uh, I don't know a single person who, you know, they, I mean, talk do about they really picking. Still, but do they really see it as like that? I mean, it, it, it almost goes into that argument about the, that the right wing has about the media, which is that it is a war and they are against us and they are fighting it. And is it, do, 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 do people like Steve Croft really believe that it's, it's them against the right wing? No, I think it's that the right wing is coming after us. I mean, they went after Dan. But that's what I mean. Anybody. But that's what I mean. Is like, like that has to inform the rest of their reporting, the rest of everything they do. That you know, we are we are rattling their cage, and so of course they're against us because we're the ones telling them the truth. Do you, do you think that they right. actually believe that? 
Jonah, you had this great quote the other day that was cir- circulating around Twitter that reminded me of Andrew Breitbart that people were, were putting up. I'm trying to remember what it was. That Oh, um, uh, there's nothing pisses off the left more than a conservative who's enjoying himself. Right. Was so that, that one, yeah. one of the ways that, of course, we conservatives enjoy ourselves is seeing liberals hoist by their own petard. And they look at that right. as a direct you know, antagonism, which is – it's quite the opposite actually, which is that it is that thing where if you just stand there long enough – like Brian Williams, people will hang but themselves. But isn't this roughly the same thing as the Brian Williams thing where like you want, you want to say to Steve Croft, hey, I got some news for you. Nobody cares. I don't think that if Steve Croft came and sat down opposite me, I would know that that was Steve Croft. Am I just out of it? I'm a person who lives in 21st century America. I pay attention to the world around me. Steve Croft is not a famous per- – not not, he's, not, he's not significant. He's no Dan Rather. I mean isn't this another, another kind of weird narcissism where, oh, I'm, everyone's going to be concerned about my affair? Nobody cares about his affair. I don't even of know he's ever going to Of course not. That is, that is exactly the point. I mean of course nobody cares about Steve Croft's affair. Who who would care? I mean, the only person who really Presumably should care about his affair is Steve yeah. Croft, the, the 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 other woman, and his wife, Janet Conan. I mean, that's who should care. Otherwise, it's nobody's business. And and you know, except that it's funny to see somebody imagine that he's the target of you know that he needs to be careful because he'll be the target of partisan sniping. Um, because you know he's on sixty minutes, which you know forty seven years ago had a scoop once. Well, no, I mean, sixty minutes is a really good example of of what used to be the most important, the number one show in America. It was regularly sixty minutes. People watched mm-hmm. it. It mattered what sixty minutes did. And now you're like sixty minutes. Yeah, remember that? I mean, it's still on, right? I mean, presumably yeah. it's still on. And like every now and then, if you catch it, if you're walking through an airport, well, you know, it's the TV it's version. Like, you see it. It's like you you yeah. look at these 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 bags of bones on it. You look at this horrible, weird, <laughs> no, loose, it's, 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 it looks it's like it's Charlie Rose wearing this kind of loose jacket of skin. You just think, oh my God, these people get vitamin D or something. No, no, no. It's the TV news version of uh, an Atria senior living facility. Everybody on TV news who room. turns 90 gets a room at 60 Minutes. Yeah. So and then they, and then they get to interview Yo-Yo Ma and it's really <laughs> great. <laughs> You know. Every time I turn it on, because I record it, um, I DVR it, and then every now and then my wife and I will, will look to see what we missed, and I'd say one time in ten we'll actually watch some of it. But whenever I, I watch the opening and you see the who the hosts are now, I get that I get that same feeling you would get at the beginning during the opening credits of The Love Boat where you'd see who the yeah. guest stars are. And oh, he's still alive, you know? <laughs> That's right. Martha That's right. Ray. That's right. That's what we used to say about variety, the variety opits back in the days when, when, when you read variety every morning. So you come in the morning and, uh, and the studio uh, – actually it was part of – everyone had that as part of their deal, which is the studio had to provide you with an office and <clears throat> they elaborated the offices. But also you had to get both variety and the Hollywood Reporter every morning, um, and which made, made variety and Hollywood Reporter these incredibly, incredibly valuable properties because, of course, they were subsidized subscription rates. And you'd come in the morning and then you'd read them both, but everybody would prefer variety. And it's like getting the morning paper. It's all anybody read. And the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of your day were spent reading variety. And you know, people would always turn to the obits, which is in the back, the way they, they should be. And your response was almost always not, oh, no, so-and-so died, but, oh, my Lord, so-and-so was alive last week. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost a surprising moment. Like, good lord! Um, yeah, that is always that 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 is the issue. But but I think I mean, look, it's it, that's the problem with the 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 media sort of uh, a culture, right? The problem with it is that it doesn't know it, it is haunting a haunted house, the haunted house of broadcast TV, and the ghosts are Brian Williams and Steve Croft, and they just they just don't and know Rosie, it. And Rosie O'Donnell, because of course Rosie O'Donnell just quit. ABC's The View for the second time after her much heralded return five months ago to try to save the show after Barbara Walters retired and instead the show is imploding even more deeply. Cast members are leaving, coming, going. She's having fights with Whoopi Goldberg. They're each having fights with Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez is having a fight with Nicole Wallace. And and you think, you know, the whole point of this show was it was supposed to be a show about – 
the wonderful female perspective on things. <laughs> yes. Well, that is and a, apparently that is... the wonderful female perspective on things that they show is that, you know, they, all they can do is like shred each other. To bits. Yeah, it, it's live up to one of the camera. worst stereotypes of women, right? That they yeah. can't get along out it's there. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But now, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I just one last point on the sixty minutes because I was um I did Howie Kurtz's media buzz show a while back, right after the um Obama did those YouTube interviews, you know, with the chick with the bathtub and all that. And the thing is, is like she asked, and you know, these crazy YouTube personality, crazy weirdos asked some absolutely legitimate and good questions and um and howie kurtz and these guys and some of the other people on the panel i can't remember who else were you know sort of on their high horse about how you know what about real interviews with by real journalists and all the rest i was like have you watched steve croft's interviews of barack obama i mean they were much softer than this woman who eats captain crunch out of her bathtub and, right. Who um, said? Who said? Well, you're making this deal with the guy from Cuba. They put the dick in dictator. Which yeah. was a pretty. Which was kind of wait, a pretty start. Wait, who role. said that? The girl, the, the, the woman with the, the woman who was in the bathtub with the Fruit Loops. <laughs> asked Obama, like, why he was making playing footsie with Raul Castro and the Castros because those guys really put the dick in dictator. dictator right. Right. I mean, that's a you know, that's a. Meanwhile, yesterday, as the, the yesterday, the day before we're taping this, I don't know when people are going to listen to it. Um, Vox dot com, the super brainiac nerd wonk site. Uh, well, we, by, but, uh, but you should, you should let, let let people know why you're saying it was brainiac nerd because Barack Obama because called Barack him Obama that. said this year like a bunch of super brainiac nerds. Um, Vox.com, which is now you know most notable on the right for the number of errors its super brainiac nerds make every day, including uh, you know including creating a bridge between uh, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which are you know twenty two miles apart. Um, it goes over the mighty river. It goes <laughs> goes over the mighty river Jordan, which the is mighty, twenty the miles mighty, to the east. The mighty um, river Netanyahu. Right, um, but. So Vox.com did this uh, interview, uh, which was broken up into a series of film clips uh, with Vox uh, on on uh, Monday, uh, the what is it? Monday, the 9th of February. And uh, as as Jack Schaefer of Politico put it, uh, these things look like Scientology recruitment videos. So hard hitting were they that it was really more like. Gee, gee, Mr. President, tell us more about all the wonderful things you're going to do. And then, you know, Obama would say, well, I'm going to do this wonderful thing and that wonderful thing. It's very important to set the stage also that their motto is, I believe, um, the toughest questions from the smartest thinkers. (laughs) Right? I mean, that is, they actually, their cult of themselves is through the roof. (laughs) <laughs> and half the time, you know, every time I ever go over there, it's like, you know, it's just classic search engine optimization trolling uh, right. for, well, you know, morning, for, for eyeballs. Example, but anyway, go on. Day, the what? day after the president called them super brainiac nerds, I noted a tweet that said, uh, baby poop, colon, what's in it is really, really weird. And then a link. That was Vox.com oh. super brainiac nerd uh, thing. Um you're saying the it's smartest thinker is the toughest. So, yeah, the <laughs> toughest. And also, what's about, like, in baby poop? And is it normal or like is it weird? And something only pregnant animals can give milk. That was one of them they had. They sort of didn't understand how cows work. <laughs> that, which I thought was kind of interesting. Brainiac nerd. And, the, um, uh, I, okay. and of course, yeah. it re- but, they really but, eclipsed partisan review. <laughs> but in, inadvert- <laughs> inadvertently, of course. Though they didn't mean <clears> – <throat> they seem to have uh, designed this uh, explicitly not to make any real news. Obama himself made real news uh, yesterday during these interviews when he, when he uh, in discussing terrorism, referred to um, uh, some, some, you know, some, uh, some people are randomly uh, shooting some folks in a deli in Paris. Right. Um, this may be, you know, in some ways, if you think about it, uh, the paradigmatic Obama 
quote of this presidency because what he was doing was he was trying to make the case that we overestimate, overstress, and talk too much about terrorism. And so this incident, which was arguably the worst anti-Semitic massacre in Europe since since Munich in 1972 and has, you know, the very real possibility of France's Jews depopulating themselves and moving to Israel um, is turned into an event since he doesn't want to, uh, you know, call this Islamist terrorism where um, some folks get randomly shot up in a Paris deli, which of course <laughs> wasn't a deli. It was a kosher supermarket. Um, you know, the entire world has been shaken by it and he's just, Referring to it in this, well, some folks, you know, randomly. It's a very, uh, and I can say this because I am one. It's a very goyish way to refer to it. <laughs> some folks in a deli, uh, some kind of store, yeah, they got where they have that, deli that uh, there, you know, spicy food, those, them sandwiches. Um, they make that 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 kind of pastry that's all circly and goes around and around. What do they I call mean, it was, that? It's really startling if you think about it. Yeah. It, it, it. The whole point of it is to act as though is to talk down the importance of the event by using vocabulary terminology and a kind of um, informality to talk about an unspeakable action. But also to do in Paris two weeks ago. Right. But to do it in front of people with, 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 with with quote journalists unquote who aren't going to follow up before we continue. Can I just say that if you are listening to this podcast and you are a member of Ricochet, we are thrilled to have you. If you are listening to this podcast and you are not, we'd love you to go to ricochet.com. Check it out. Sign up for the daily shot, which comes every day in your mailbox, kind of a quick digest um, from a kind of a witty perspective of the news of what happened yesterday and what's going to happen today gets you prepared for any debates or, or arguments you might have with your friends and loved ones on the other side. Um, and it's free. And so just check it out. Uh, hang out at Ricochet and you will soon want to become a member and join the conversation. That's all. Yeah, all right. so, well, um, but but yeah. getting back to this one because this is exactly what Orwell was writing about in Politics and English Language when he says that these euphemisms end up distorting how we think. And if you watch the Obama clip about this, he is so determined to sanitize and minimize um, the nature of the terrorist threat and, and the nature of what happened in Paris that he uses these euphemisms that through, the own, through their own internal logic force him to completely mischaracterize what we're talking about, right? Because if you, if, you, if you refuse to talk about Islamic terrorism and um, he goes on this long extended comparison about how terrorism is really, you know, we have to treat terrorism the way a mayor of a big city treats street crime. Um, if you want to keep your city vibrant, you have to keep street crime down. And the simple fact is, is that, you know, street crime is bad and terrorism are bad, but street crime and terrorism are not the same thing. And yet he, he, he so is so determined to make this seem like it's just random. It's like, you know, calling the Fort Hood shooter, you know, office, uh, workplace violence. Um, you 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 euphemize, if you euphemize these things too much, you end up being led off down a path of thinking that makes it impossible for you to actually understand what's going on in the world, and that's where he is, and he's so condescending in the process. But it, but it, I mean, you 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 hit on the key, which is he is being dragged, kicking and screaming into responding to any of these things because they do not fundamentally interest him; they do not shake his sense. Of, of how the world is or ought to be or, or what the American response should be. What he wants to talk about is what he wants to talk about when he wants to talk about it. And that is not how the world works. You know, this morning, just before we started, came the news that we don't know how we know this, whether it was from the, the, the bombing in Jordan or not, but that, you know, but that this uh, hostage from Phoenix, this 26-year-old aid worker, Kayla Mueller, uh, you know, has been confirmed dead. She was, you know, kidnapped two years ago by ISIS. We didn't even know that she'd been kidnapped because the family didn't want it retailed. And, you know, this is now, what is this, the seventh or eighth person who is now, you know, dead from an ISIS kidnapping. We know from earlier in the week that there is a, a British journalist, John Cadley's, who is 
who who says in a video that was produced that looks like a news report that there will be one final video after the one that he is doing, which will presumably feature his own murder on screen. And we are sitting here, on the one hand, we're bombing ISIS, and Jordan's bombing ISIS, and this and that. On the other hand, the president wants to act as though none of this really shakes you know, our sense of, of the world, how it works, what America needs to do to respond to it, as ISIS and Iran are carving up Iraq into you know, zones of influence. I mean, it is astounding. It is astounding, and once again, reminds us that you know, mm-hmm. here we are, it's... February, middle of February of 20, we have almost two years left of this presidency and maybe God will be good to the United States, you know, right. and, and, and not throw us, hurl us into, into, you know, another unforeseen, uh, you know, crisis like ISIS was in 2014. But I don't hold that much hope that we're going to escape the bonds of world right. chaos. But I guess the the question is, what is weird about baby poop? <laughs> well, here here's the sort of secret to that question. It depends on what the baby eats. Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh, weirder than oh, it is that kind of relativist, eats. kind of your yeah, relativist answer. You know, I think garbage I in, garbage at, out. I think I need to look at seven or eight different box cards. You know, frankly, to be completely honest with you, having changed about five million diapers in the last, you know, ten years, um, and, and two million I of them really your own, don't care. Well, no, that's next year. I start. Okay. I start next right. year. Right. Um, we'll I go really, with that then. I really, I really don't care what's what's in them. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that I think is the key to understanding baby poop. It's one of the few things in life. That one is perfectly happy to draw a veil, you know, ignorance <laughs> draw, is bliss. Draw a veil, draw a veil over draw it. That's a veil good. Over yeah. it. <laughs> draw a veil. <laughs> well, at least until Friday when Fifty Shades of Grey opens. Now, right. um, speaking of movies, um, you know, the interesting thing is going on. There's a hand-to-hand battle, pitch battle. The Oscars are in two weeks. Uh, Birdman is winning all these prizes. Boyhood's winning a few prizes. It now looks like Birdman is way ahead, and Birdman's probably going to win, although Boyhood may be the second choice of everybody, and they have weighted ballots in the Oscars, so maybe Boyhood would win. And, of course, none of this is even in the least important because for the first time in three or four years, we have a genuine phenomenon, cultural phenomenon, that's been created at the box office, and it is not Birdman, and it is not Boyhood, it is American Sniper, which is a movie that came out of nowhere, is on the is is now right. likely to make more than three hundred and seventy million dollars at the box office, which which would put it ahead of Passion of the Christ as the number one R rated movie uh, in in box office history. Now, uh, in fact, if you go by constant non inflationary dollars, um, The Exorcist remains the most popular R-rated movie in history. But American Sniper came out, you know, it was platformed. It was in a few theaters in New York and L.A. It grew. It is, you know, it 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 keeps losing very little money, very little off its percentages each weekend. It is a genuine cultural phenomenon. So, of course, the Oscars are going to, you know, be decided between, you know, one movie that made $12.5 and another movie that made $13.5. And they're yeah. going to stay the hell away from American Sniper, which was nominated for Best Picture yeah. because, of course, it's too important and too interesting to too many people for Hollywood to actually. Well, have to I, I don't know about that. It's also just that, it, like, I mean, <coughs> I mean, it's a, it, it is it is also a Clint Eastwood picture, and he's won um, twice. Yeah, so that, I think there's a, lot, a sense that that's not look. Look, I mean, I, my money would be on Boyhood because first of all, I loved it, but also because it's one of those movies that everyone wishes they made. You know, like oh, it's such a great idea, and it kind of captures the imagination of movie makers in general and people who who are producers and people who are uh, directors and the kind of people who vote for Best Picture. Um, and, but what's what's remarkable about American Sniper is that um, it, is that it it it's so gripping. It's such a well-done movie. It has such pace, and it was done by Clint Eastwood, who 
who has his last couple of pictures have been real snoozers. Yeah. Um, you know, he's I mean almost to the point where you think he's too old to direct a movie anymore because he doesn't understand. I certainly the, when I saw Jersey Boys, which came out in I, June, I yeah. certainly thought, all done. right, that's it. He's done. He's eighty four. Yeah, no more. You know. Yeah. This one just has a lot. Has a lot of style to it, and it's and, and it's gripping. Like you really you really pay attention to it. Um, so just a sheer you know as a movie making experience, it's great. Um, but you know the, the Academy is very weird. First of all, they're all old. That's the that's the the the, the truth is that they're all really old. Um, these are geriatric. I remember I remember somebody once this the, the, when they blew the lid off it like about ten years ago. Someone interviewed some super old TV actress, and at that point, TV actors were mostly made up most of the Academy. And asked her, "This is before they started sending out screeners. So maybe it was like fifteen years ago. Um, have you seen any of the movies that you're going to vote on?" And she said, "Oh no, no, I haven't. I haven't been out to see any of them. Are you going to vote? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, why?" And she said. Because it's so important to the kids. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh boy. Anyway, well, Mark Mark Harris of Grantland proposes that that Birdman will win because it's a movie about actors and acting and movie making and theater, and this would make it the third movie in five years about acting and movie making, and you know, yeah. after the artist and Argo. Um, you know, and it's about a movie star who's trying to make sure that he's still relevant and he makes a superhero picture. Not bad. The not truth bad. is, I think it's the theory is very good. I hated Birdman. Very few people have seen it. I really disliked it. A lot of critics love it, and a lot of people think, oh, it's really cool because it's shot like it's one one shot. It's completely unbelievable. It's pretentious. Um, and it's just weird and not interesting. But uh, I mean, it's sort of interesting only in that it's weird. But you know, uh, uh, but you have to say it's won all these guild awards, and that may be the that may be. That's the usually cap- an indication. The guild awards usually have some kind of indication because in the categories that, that those are the people who vote, right? If you're going to bother right. to vote in a guild uh, a guild uh, election, you're you're really going to vote in the academy. Right. So um, that's so that, that's why people think that that, that Birdman. Well, that's is, that's, is, that's it's not going to win. And then the then the question then comes down to: Will Michael Keaton win as the star Birdman because it's yes. a great comeback story, or will Eddie Redmayne, who is a British actor who plays Stephen Hawking, no, it's in a, my, in a it's movie Steve called The Keaton. Theory of Everything? Except except Eddie Redmayne is you know it's it's the Daniel Day Lewis My Left Foot performance uh, of this year. And the other comic thing is that it, apparently Julianne Moore has it in the bag for a movie called. Um, still Alice, in which she plays someone with early onset Alzheimer's, that to date, I believe, at the box office has made $740,000, which means that that is really where, you know, your your decrepit old TV actress is going to vote for her without ever seeing the movie. And no well, one's going to see Or not, or not remembering seeing the movie. Right. Um, uh, yeah, look, the, the problem with all that stuff is that that, that is what the, what the um, Oscars are going to become, right? I mean, they have to become that because... The the movies are splitting into two halves, right? One half is, or not two halves. Like the one segment is the four hundred million dollar uh, superhero picture, uh, where they're combining and recombining superheroes, and uh, you know giant things are exploding. And the other is um, these weird little movies that you, maybe you'll see, maybe you won't. Right. Um, see, I, the Oscars. I, I, go ahead. I thought you were going to say that that this is what Hollywood's becoming because so many members of the Academy are suffering from early onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> I was sure that's where you were going with that. Well, that's that that is true, but that's not. But that that has always been true. I'm talking about new conditions. <laughs> so listen, you guys, we're talking a lot about pop culture, and one of the great sites on on the web where you can read interesting things about pop culture is acculturated.com, where pop culture matters. Uh, features such as the Daily Scene, the best from the internet on hot pop culture topics, original posts every day, books, comics, culture, fashion, movies, games, sports, tech, TV, Oscars, Birdman, <laughs> American Sniper, novels. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff on Fifty Shades of Grey this week, featuring the writing of Emily Esfahani Smith, Abby Schachter, R.J. Muller, Mark Judge, and many more Ricochet readers. If you like this show... You really ought to check out acculturated.com and read what young conservative writers have to say on pop culture. Um, And that was our second sponsor 
Wow, this we have show. two sponsors. It's amazing. Two sponsors. It's 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 amazing. You know, pretty pretty soon. Pretty soon, we're going to make um, almost as much as Still Alice. Is still. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. You know, very very uh, very heartily. So, um, uh, I I think we're kind of. We're kind of running close to the end, so my question is: Does either of you guys anything like really annoy you right now? What's annoying you? I feel bad for people in Boston. They have twenty nine feet of snow. That's true. Being poured on their heads, and you know why? Because they cheated with those balls, and then they <laughs> won the Super Bowl, and God is not happy. That's that's um, my interesting. What do you think? What do you think? That's my my theory. I am um, my I am annoyed, and I and you know, as a as a professional columnist, you try not to let, you know, you want to you want to use your annoyance as a muse, but not let it take take you over and become go to the area of crankiness, right? But I am officially um, fed up with Barack Obama in a way that I have not been in years. Ever since his prayer breakfast speech, where he talked about the Crusades. Um, and then this Vox. That interview. was only that was only five days ago. I know, but like that speech was five days ago. It feels like it was a month ago because I know. because he said so many other annoying things since. But I I I, I think it's because he feels free to say what he wants to say more and be you know he's going full Obama, and I, I I'm finding myself just disliking yeah. the man in a way that I didn't used to, or at least I tried to hold at bay. You don't want to just. You know, you don't want to become just a sort of a rote hater or any of that kind of stuff. But he is—he—he he has this. He is so smug and so condescending, and he—and you know, he works from. He has—he's a, a classic personality type that thinks you have to sort of take. You know, what was it? The old line: "A liberal is someone so open-minded he won't even take his own side side in a fight." That you have to sort of check the box about talking about the freaking Crusades and the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Before you can condemn people who rape little girls right. and bury little boys alive is so twisted and bizarre and haughty. And all the people rushing to his defense don't seem to understand that, that you know, I, you don't have to defend the Crusades. But the idea that you have to be that kind of, you know, I'm really annoyed with, with our friend David Brooks because David Brooks is is defending Obama, saying that he's, oh, Obama's, you know, he's he's... He's he's reminding us of the need for humility. Well, you know, in 2015, I don't think we need to be reminded of of our transgressions a thousand years ago to be able to full throatedly condemn. Also, you know, ISIS. Does anybody forget that? I mean, is there ever you know, has there ever been a moment where we haven't remembered it? It seems to be we're constantly being reminded of it. So, I mean, let us forget it a little bit. <laughs> like, by the way, like, by let, the way, let me forget Americans. it before you remind me to not forget it. By the way, he's in a room of people at the National Prayer Breakfast, right? None of them was alive during the Crusades. None of them was alive you, you during the Inquisition. None of them was that. alive during Jim Crow. Half of them, you know, a, a goodly number of people in that room are black and Hispanic and are recent arrivals. Some people in that room, though it's mostly Christian, may have been Jews, as I said on, on, on Fox the other night. You know, I don't have a horse in this fight. I... My, my people didn't fight the Crusades. My people were tormented during the Inquisition, and my family didn't come here, you know, until the early 20th century. So I got no horse in this fight. And the notion that you go in front of people and say, you know, you better not get on your high horse because people who said that they had the same religion that you now say you have behaved badly a thousand years ago is gravely rude and offensive. No one Particularly when most of the people no in that room no know more about has, these issues than he does. I know, but no one alive has to apologize for the well. for the Crusades. No one that they don't even have. You know, the Bible says the sins of the father are passed on to the children unto the fourth generation, not the forty seventh generation, <laughs> not the eighty third generation. <laughs> well, <laughs> what the hell is this? I mean, yeah. seriously. And by the way, and you know, it's I think a million people said it's fine to say that people justified Jim Crow. You know, in the name of Christianity, uh, slavery or, you know, or slavery, Christian slavery was undone in part by the philosophical war against it by Christians 
The slave trade was undone by William Wilberforce. The abolitionists yeah, were led by justify, Christian ministers. Right, right, but people justify everything by a whole variety of means. They justify it by being uh, uh, oppressed, or they justify it by being hungry, or they justify. I mean, people are constantly justifying things. Uh, the, 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 the excuses they use are not do not by any means undermine the value of the excuse. I mean, there are people who are. I did this because I was jealous. Well, that doesn't mean that jealousy doesn't exist, but it, it, it's a very strange thing to do that to. To, to grasp at the the excuse or the justification someone used and then blame that. But it's also um, just astoundingly graceless is my point. It's a graceless thing to do, you know, and for somebody who, you know, who believed that it was a, you know, a mark of high grace for him to go, you know, in 2009 to Cairo and apologize for America's sins and, you know, to, well, to you know. It didn't work, so he's, he's continuing to go back in time. Fair <laughs> like enough. That, that but I mean, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sort of with, with Jonah that there is something there is something in his in his personal I would say his personal conduct and the way he talks about things and looks at things and behaves towards things that is that 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 I'm finding increasingly off putting as well. Yeah. Um, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. Don't you I think? Guess, yeah. do, do you think he's he's mad? I think he's mad. That's what I think. I think he's he's just he's just mad at us. He's mad. Well, he's at, constantly talking about the pundits, right? Yeah. I think this is the first guy who like has a Google News alert for his name in the White House. You know, yeah. I mean, I think he's constantly reading his clips, and like, like I think he read a lot of Andrew Sullivan and yep. and a lot of left wing blogs, and he gets pissed off that anyone would argue about how awesome he is. You know, what would yeah. be great is if we found out after the presidency that he like was going on anonymously and commenting. Well, we, we, <laughs> like the Daily Coast or something, you know, he was like one of those. He was his own sock puppet. That that would be. I mean, that would just be. You know, at some point, you're going to find out that there are politicians doing this. I mean, you just know. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and it, he what, is. What, he what is apparently the first like insane blog reading president. Yeah. What is his screen name? Be like centrist in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> D.C. <Yeah>. moderate. <laughs> Uh, born in Kenya. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, I guess this uh, this being February tenth, the question would be, Jonah, what? Uh, I know you have a potentially uh, you have a controversial gig coming up this month uh, in Ann Arbor. Am I right? I do. I do. Uh, thank you for mentioning well, it. I am tearing down billboards and things. Yeah. On February 12th, uh, this Thursday, uh, I'll be in Ann Arbor, the university of Michigan. The event is open to the public. It'd be nice to have some friendly faces in the room. Uh, so if anybody's in the area, come on out. And, uh, they want me talking about liberal fascism and, you know, the cover of liberal fascism still, is a bloody shirt for a lot of people, and uh, not surprisingly, the left wingers on campus uh, tore down this banner ad that uh, the sponsors of my talk, Young America's Foundation, had paid for. Um, and the, the irony is that the banner ad something said something about you know, hey, uh, thought police beware, Jonah Goldberg's coming, or something like that. And of course, the thought police immediately <laughs> tore down the sign. So. <laughs> So well, so that's so that's go. exciting. So yeah, go go to Ann Arbor, have a have a sandwich at Zingerman's, and uh, and uh, I'm going here, to, here, John. Uh, I have a I have a my my cousin's son goes to Michigan, and we're going to go to Zingerman's. I'm very excited. Zingerman's about is that. great. Zingerman's is terrific. Fantastic. I, I heartily recommend Zingerman's. And uh, Rob, you have anything you need to uh, tell everybody about except your uh, many appearances on uh, KCRW? My many my many podcast appearances on another podcast called Martini Shot. Um, I also uh, – I guess I was on Red Eye last week, so you can't really see me on Red Eye. I guess you could yeah, – I was on Megyn Kelly it. last week, so you can so – yes. We were so, actually in, in the Fox building at the same moment. I was using baby wipes just to return to a subject we were already talking about to take off the makeup and I was staring at a monitor and there was John uh, Podoritz. And so we, we met in the lobby for, for a brief moment. It was a it was a very moving. It's very immediate. He was on he was on one. I was on twelve. Um, it's really a, a beautiful a beautiful story. Sort of like sort of like Sleepless in Seattle. Only you know. <laughs> we also oh, all had breakfast together last week. You know, we I did. Know. We're like, yeah, we did. Yeah, we're we like did. In, we're in. Aren't we? we're, this is yeah, too much. It's a whole thing. It's uh, 
it's uh, you know soon uh, we'll be you know taking a summer house together and we'll and, and lying about our war experiences. <laughs> no, no. What we'll do is we'll all live in a fantastic Manhattan penthouse, and we'll the three of us will raise a baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, okay, I, I like that. Except, can I just change it from from penthouse to lighthouse? Because <laughs> it's more, way, it's more interesting. Just we all live way, in a lighthouse together. By the way, it is a it is a staggering fact uh, that I must now relate to you that Tom Selleck last week turned seventy years old. Wow! Uh, because the the you know the wheels of time just keep turning relentlessly, and pretty soon Tom Selleck will be old enough a to vote. For the Oscars and B to be a host on 60 Minutes. But so, he looks good. He looks amazingly he looks good. good. He looks better than Steve Croft, that's for sure. Um, and I, of course, uh, will be uh, opening uh, for uh, Gallagher, Carrot Top, <coughs> and, and other prop uh, comedians. Um, <laughs> I, by the way, I've now, now been noticing that Teller of Penn and Teller has started talking. All over the place, which I think, you know, really? represents wow. – Yeah, he's like giving interviews and everything, you know. It's a sign of the apocalypse. Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. I think it's time everybody start getting your beans and cans and putting them in the basement because Teller has Teller's started talking. to talk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> thank you all. Thank you guys. And we will uh, gather again, uh, you know, next month and to discuss further perfidies. Keep up alive. I said a hip hop, the hipping, the hipping to the hip, hip hop. You don't stop the rocket to the bang, bang, bookie. Say up, jump the bookie to the rhythm of the bookie, the beat. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to groove your feet. See, I am Wonder Mike, and I'd like to say hello to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple, and yellow. But first, I gotta bang, bang, the bogey, to the bogey, say up, jump, the bogey, to the bang, bang, bogey, let's rock. You don't stop, rock the rhythm that will make your body rock. Well, so far, you've heard my voice, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. Check it out. And the C.A. Sandville B. And the rest is F.L.Y. You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the mix. And these reasons of L.B.Y. You see, I'm six foot one. And it turns up on. And I dress to a teen. You see, I've got more clothes than Muhammad. And I dress so viciously. Everybody go, oh, tell, mom, tell. What you gonna do today? Say what? Because I'm a headline girl. And I get some spanky drive off. And the death no Everybody go home, tell, mom, tell, holiday, bin. Say if your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. Ricochet. Join the conversation.